You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by two senior leaders within the Australian technology industry, where we're going to discuss the topic of platform engineering. Um, We are going to cover a couple of different areas under this vast topic. We're looking at subtopics such as abstractions, automation and patterns. And then into other really important areas like culture, ways of working and simply benefits of platform and squad tribe engineering. Um, So first things first, I think it'd be brilliant if we could do an introduction to our incredible panellists today. and I'm going to look at Fiona first, if you'd like to give us an intro. Take it away. Hi, Shana. Um, I'm Fiona Dower. I'm the product leader for engineering practices at IAG, which is an insurance company um, that looks after brands like NRMA, SGIO, SGIC, many other brands. Uh, we build, run and maintain developer platforms and all the inbuilt expertise that goes with it to solve problems safely, securely, and reliably without having to depend on anyone else. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to hearing all about your insights. And Paul, tell us a bit about yourself, please. Uh, Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Paul, husband and father of three kids uh, based in Sydney. Um, I've been working in the world of software development since the early 90s. Uh, I started as a software engineer. I've had the opportunity to work on various fronts, including front and back end development, infrastructure and architecture. Um, I've had a variety of different roles, but you know, I've always managed to uh, stay technical. Um, you know, during my career, I've tended to be uh, an early adopter of you know best practices, including you know agile methodologies, cloud, build engineering, DevOps practices, um, and not just limited to technical practices. I'm also an advocate for things such as you know, blameless culture, motivation, personal development, accountability, trust, safety, and purpose. Uh, I think my passion for um, for platform engineering flourished uh, during my time at Atlassian, um, where I had the privilege to contribute to, you know, the development of, you know, cutting edge platforms as both a producer um, and a consumer of them. Um, and I've been able to, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to continue working on, um, you know, initiatives uh, at companies such as Tyro, Iris, Longtail, and um, and most recently as uh, VP of Engineering at uh, Displayer. Um, I'm thrilled to be here and, uh, you know, eagerly waiting to wave my arms frantically about. Amazing. Um, incredible stuff. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, but yes, I think today's topic is something that is very much a hot topic at the moment. Um, a lot of companies are starting to embrace um, the world of platform engineering. Um, I think in many different ways. Um, so I'd love to kind of get uh, both your views on what platform engineering means um, to you both and kind of how you've seen it sort of um, come into your world at work um, and maybe some recent kind of achievements around it. Um, yeah, who wants to go first? Um, I can jump in. Um, go for it. So, um, you know, to avoid these awkward silences, um, so in, now in my view, um, you know, modern software development, um, you know, it has quite a large um, surface area. Uh, it spans the, you know, traditional areas of, you know, writing business logic and uh, and user experience, which, you know, targets the actual end users of the software. Uh, and now it includes such things as, you know, build engineering, which encompasses, you know, automated testing and continuous integration and deployment, 
Um, it includes you know, cloud operations, um, you know, managing environments, service reliability, um, system architecture. Um, it also overlaps with um, things such as risk and compliance. Uh, look, I can go on, you know, eating, you know, vulnerability management, use of containers, mutual TLS between services, certificate management, secrets management, you know, service discovery, network layering, you know, and observability, which in its own, you know, it's its own world again. Um, you know, yeah. So it's quite a large area. Um, and I would classify a lot of these things as um, as non-differentiating concerns. Um, in other words, they don't represent the experience at the end user experiences, but they underpin it. Um, and mm-hmm. all of these things are necessary in the modern world of software development. Um, and if you do a good job in these areas, then it, you know, it greatly increases the rate at which, you know, organizations can deliver scalable and, uh, and high quality software. Um, you can also look at it in terms of, um, which customer and an engineer is aiming to serve as their direct customer. So in the case of platform engineering, um, you know, an engineer working for platform engineering, their direct customer, um, you know, is the engineers uh, that are building the user facing features um, so that they can more, you know, rapidly and with, you know, more safety and with great quality, they can, they can build that. Um, so my definition of platform engineering is where you have, um, you know, a dedicated team or a tribe or, you know, a group within an organization, you know, potentially called platform engineering. They specialize in all of these you know, non-differentiating concerns and um, they can provide these capabilities, you know, to the teams that are focused on, you know, business logic and user experience um, for the, you know, end customer. Um, and then you know, there's, there's a couple of different models in which, you know, those capabilities can be provided, but, you know, it all falls under the banner of um, platform engineering. Amazing. This is awesome. I've uh, made it quite a lot of notes already. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Fiona, tell us a little bit about your thoughts. I think that's a great description, Paul. Um, I joined the DevOps team probably two years ago, and I'm just um, just so surprised and sometimes overwhelmed at, by the the scale of everything that we do as a team. Um, but ultimately, I think platform engineering is uh, about enabling devs to be more productive. And I'll steal from Gene Kim. He points out five things that platform engineering is, and that's basically self-service, on-demand, fast feedback, focus and flow, and bring in joy. Um, and we do that by building in, um, we build platforms, and they might have um, expertise with, you know, observability, so integrating um, monitoring and logging so that devs don't have to worry about that, um, making deployments easy, um, automating environment creation, um, shifting left on security, making security application security at default and orchestration. So um, at the end of the day, we want um, devs to be focusing on the right things and we want people to be working on interesting things that interesting work that makes them want to come to work and brings joy to their their jobs every day i think Amazing, that's fiona yeah really, sorry paul i was just going to say i think that's really important i think that um um you know productivity um you know is a combination of a, a number of things and probably one of the largest is um is motivation and so if you have a you know a great environment where you know, engineers are jumping out of bed to, you know, do their best work, you know, that's going to give you the greatest return in terms of productivity in my view. Awesome. Amazing. I mean, we were just saying at the start of this, uh, before we started a podcast that um, the platform engineering podcast could be a series in itself. 
Um, so I'd love to see where this um, topic um, takes us for sure. But I'm really excited to, to start it off today. Um, but um, yeah, you both brought some really great um, questions and subtopics to this conversation today. Um, and they're covering a lot of different areas. Um, and I think a lot of this will just sort of touch the surface of what you guys um, do day to day and what your achievements have been throughout your years in these positions. Um, but the first topic, um, Fiona, um, you brought it today. I think you've sort of mentioned it as well, Paul, um, but it's around um, simply into the um, culture and ways of working, introducing that um, into your platform engineering team. Fiona, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what kind of that entails? Yeah, so um, we when we built the um, we built a serverless platform recently, and we did it really quickly. We had a real bias for action, but one of the things that we knew if we wanted to build it quickly, we had to get our ways of working right, and that meant um, having a bias for action, um, being clear on what our MVP is. So, what's the minimum thing that we can produce that will offer maximum value? and making sure we have the feedback to know, okay, this is a success or not. Um, and and bringing in a community, uh, kind of starting up a community with our developers to get that fast feedback, but also to get them involved in what we're building. So we didn't want to go away and build something without any feedback from the devs and come back to them and then show them, they're like, this is not what we wanted. Um, we wanted them involved in the process all the way through and now with the we call this platform acrux we have a really good community where people are our developers our consumers are constantly giving us ideas on what needs improvement and they're even making starts on um how they can improve like uh pulling putting together to review so it's it's really um a symbiotic kind of relationship where we help each other um we also wanted to um make sure that uh we're discovering and build measuring learning as we go so we wanted to experiment and make sure you know we didn't have to have everything up front um uh designed and correct because that would take too long so we wanted to build POCs, proofs of proof of concepts and um check like keep learning from those and check if they were you know uh, aligned with what our, our success metrics were so some things failed and we failed quickly but we were able to learn a lot from those failings and build something really good amazing i think you've mentioned this three, uh, before fiona and i actually really kind of carry what we day today is um minimum effort and maximum value it really sounds like that's what platform engineering should be isn't it it's really like looking at ways you can do things quickly fail fast but then give the best value then to the end user so i'm keen to see how you pull the engineering um the product engineering team into the platform engineering but sorry paul you're going to say something well um just on that point as well uh, that's something that i am passionate about as well later but um i was just going to say um that uh, um, there were a few things there that definitely resonate um you know with me 
Yeah. Um, one of the pitfalls of, um, you know, potential pitfalls, if you're not careful with um, with platform engineering, is that you can have um, a team sort of like go off on their own and build something which, you know, doesn't end up um, being used. So the engagement between the, um, you know, the platform engineering, you know, squads or tribes, um, you know, with the product development, you know, squads or tribes is, is you know, really, really important. And um, one of the things that I've found um, has helped um, a lot in terms of developing that uh, mutual empathy between the two teams um, is um, is secondments between the two different um, groups. Yeah. And and secondly, um, well, this is something that that we did at Tyro um, was that when we started upon you know this sort of like large piece of work which involved you know cultural changes as well as ways of working changes as well as you know on premise to cloud and, and and DevOps and stuff like that. We did that with both. Um, um, the, the people that wanted to do the platform engineering side of things and the people that wanted to do the product engineering side of things and we put them together in the one you know team to start with as the genesis for it and then as those sort of teams um, you know from sort of like a biological you know cell division sort of point of view they had the same sort of like DNA and then when they specialized more into that um, you know product development or platform engineering they had enough, you know, critical mass within those, you know, growing teams to be able to, you know, have that empathy to be able to jump on and, you know, as Fiona said, be able to, you know, raise pull requests and contribute on, on sort of like either side of the fence. And I think that helps yeah. enormously. And, and one thing to mention is that you really, um, quite often there's a strong opposition to support a new ways of working or to make big changes like this. Because, and especially with the way we did it, because there was a lot of unknowns. And when you're, um, you're delving into the unknowns a lot, there's a lot of discomfort, but that's actually your optimal learning space. And so we needed our management and we've got really good leaders who supported what we were doing as an experiment with our ways of working. And we wanted to make sure that we had their buy-in and we were able to do this, but also role model how um, our ways of working could look like, not just in platform engineering space, but also for developers. So showing them how to, you know, uh, building something with minimum effort, maximum value, and then iterating on that um, as your requirements change is really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I completely agree and I've experienced it as well. Um, you know, for example, um, at Tyro, they had, you know, quite separate you know, engineering and um, operations types of teams and, uh, you know, risk adverse being a bank. And, um, you know, that, there was quite a lot of, uh, you know, trepidation and resistance to, to making a change. But if you have sort of like a small, you know, volunteer, uh, you know, group um, that includes both platform engineering side as well as the product development side, um, yeah. and you're, you're able to demonstrate success um, and, um, and safety and, and all of these things, it just becomes, you know, you know, very compelling and, and the, the naysayers very quickly, you know, become, you know, the, the loudest advocates for it. That's so Amazing. true. <laughs> Brilliant. What, another thing you mentioned, um, a point you had here, which I think is quite interesting. Um, people over processes. What did you mean by that, Fiona? So um, not delivering things just for the sake of it, um, and yeah. making sure that people are in, like the culture is important, but it's not just about delivering tech. It's about how we build it, how we work together and making the experience, um, a good one. Uh, mm -hmm. it, 
when it's difficult, it's really hard to be motivated. But when you do have a motivated bunch of people like I do in my team, it's really fun coming to work every day and learning. Yeah, brilliant. That's actually a point Paul you just said as well, like the motivation, um, that combination of productivity and motivation. Um, that's amazing. And it pulls it on to the next point that you mentioned is that creating that opportunity where you have the work-life balance in, you know, these high-performing teams where, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of different angles to look at things. How do you um, create that? NIAG, we have really good work-life balance. So, um, you know, a lot of us have kids and we're really busy outside of work as well as inside work. So there's a lot of empathy there, but also we have flexi time. So every like once a fortnight, I have the day off and I spend that time um, chauffeuring my daughter to basketball and watching her games. And, and it, it, it just makes wow. a huge difference to my quality of life. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and probably um, you're actually um, either more productive or at least as productive because, um, you know, the reality is uh, the amount of time, you know, sitting in front of a desk, you know, the amount of productive time is, is less than, you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours, um, mm. you know, a week. So Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like an illusion to think that you actually get you know, sit, you know, bums on seats is, is you know, the only thing that, that matters. At the end of the day, really, it's the results that, you know, that matter. And, um, you know, people will will work their best in a sustainable fashion, you know, if, um, you know, they have, they have yeah. their own levels and, and, and they, can, they can jump in and, you know, do extra when it's required. And, you know, and then when things aren't, you know, required, they can sort of like recharge as well. I think it's really important. Yeah, because at least you know you've got that extra day off. You're like, right, you know what? I've got this extra piece of work. I'll crunch it out and then I can unwind and do this this day. Yeah, definitely. And I do agree with that. Sometimes you're sitting at your desk and it is an illusion. You've like, Time's passed and you're like, oh my God, an hour has gone by. What have I actually done? <laughs> um, that happens to us all. And, um, and as a parent, you often feel guilty when you're pulled away to work. So it's yeah. really important to get that time back and to make sure that your family's they're an important part of your life as well and they need attention Absolutely. oh that's awesome that's brilliant that you've created that environment as well in your team um so good um so paul and fiona um there's something mentioned here about bias for action um what is that in platform engineering um so i don't think that was probably on mine that would have been on um fiona's yeah uh, I can talk to it. Um, I do. Go for it. It's a bias for action um, is this idea around um, you know being the change that that you seek. Um, that's actually one of um, Atlassian's values, and I know that bias for action is one of Amazon's values. So I mean, it's a very good um, value to have. You know, it's it's a balance. Um, it, it sort of dovetails a little bit with this idea of a blameless culture. You want to be able to take risks and get outcomes, and you know fail fast. As you know, Fiona was talking about. You know, sort of, you know, previously. So, if you have this, you know, um, toxic culture where everybody's sort of like, you know, covering their butt, and you know, there's lots of finger pointing, you, you really, no one's going to take any risks, and there's not going to really be any innovations, and you know, the business will stagnate. Um, so, I definitely think bias for action, you know, it, it ties a lot of these different ideas together, and um, it's a great, it's a great value. Anyway, it, um, I don't want to steal Fiona's thunder if I, if I have. Oh no, no, it's that. That's a great um, description. I would say as well, it's it's about um, you don't have to know everything up front. 
you yeah. can discover the unknowns as you go. So, it, and it may be, you know, just working on a little piece of it, um, seeing if that works and then continuing on. And we're, we're moving into this world where the architecture doesn't have to be all designed up front. Um, it's evolving and, you know, customers and our consumers, then requirements and needs are changing and so should the architecture. And architecture is such an important piece um, that organizations need to focus on because it's it's a real uh, predictor for high-performing organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Okay. Um, you also had under this uh, culture and working of way ways of working is we encourage experiment and innovation. It sounds like this team would uh, imagine that it would need to have a lot of innovation um, and experimenting. But how how do you encourage that? How do you kind of keep that going through your teams? Um, well, I used to be the experimentation coach um, at IAG, oh. so I would help teams with you know different sorts of qualitative and quantitative experiments and. Uh, mapping out how their hypothesis um, should look and what does success look like, what's their North Star. And so I brought a lot of that back into my team. And it, it starts with, you know, knowing what the best problem to solve is. Um, and you have this um, pen diagram that I've seen a lot, which um, focuses on desirability, feasibility and viability. And as mm. tech teams, we always want to jump into feasibility, and that is, it, does this work technically? But sometimes that's not the best problem to solve. Sometimes you want to make sure, do our consumers or users or customers, do they actually want this? Because yeah. if they don't want this, it's no point in investing into uh, tech to try and build something that they don't want. And so that was something that I brought to the team. And we also brought in, like I, I've been a, a big, big advocate for hackathons at IAG. We've recently Amazing. brought in Capture the Flag events. Um, we have yak shaving events. Um, and we also, in our team, we do um, uh, innovation days um, once a month. So that's All like right. a one to two, one two, three days sometimes where you just focus on one problem that you want to solve and you might team up with other people or you might work on your own, but you, you're not distracted with other things or other meetings. You just have that time to focus. And we've, we've, we've found really good ideas and <clears throat> good solutions like arise when people have that time to focus on um, things that are worth innovating. I think one of the um, the really cool things about you know innovation days or you know that sort of hackathon um, activities um, as well, or you know even innovation weeks and things, is that um, you're you're giving the um, the engineers the opportunity to be self you know directed um, and um, to think about what the business actually needs. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, engineers can. Just sort of get into the habit of just being doing as they've been asked to do and so by having this time where no you know your opinion and you're being self-directed um you know to the benefit of the business is you know it was important so it can help sort of like develop that mindset that sort of you know what, what we would call um at atlassian product gene and so they're focused not just on you know engineering excellence but they're also focused on you know the business outcome as well so i think that's really that's that's sort of like an opportunity to scratch that itch Brilliant. 
I do. It sounds like a really um, unique space um, for the software engineering team because it sounds like you're, you're very much balancing, you know, supporting the application team, but you always need to keep the end in mind, isn't it? Like, why are we doing this? Um, and like you said there, Fiona, it's very important that, you know, to understand the why, do we need it uh, before you invest time in it? Um, and then like what Paul was saying there, absolutely, it's about like a mindset. Like, you know, you want that end, the end goal constantly in the mindset while you're building software and asking the question why, going back to why you're building what you're building. Um, so the, the culture of um, these um, platform engineering teams is it's quite unique, but it sounds like it's a it has a quite diverse sort of array of skills, which takes us on to that um, next point of what Fiona was mentioning under culture and ways of working is these teams are very diverse, aren't they? Like you've got quite um, a mix of skills in them. So tell us a bit about that, guys. So uh, we really... Um... We really encourage diversity because it brings it brings so much goodness. Um, mm. There's diversity of thinking. There's diversity of ideas. If you if you just have um, one approach to everything, you're always going to have a vanilla solution. But when you yeah. have a diverse group of people bringing all different ideas out of the box, it it it, it gives you a differentiation from your competitors, and it it differentiates your product which is why we love it. Um, it and it, it's just, you learn so much as well. You, there's different points of views um, to, to voice and it's just a really good atmosphere. I just, I, I really encourage teams if they can to be as diverse as possible. Um, so we have a lot of, um, we have a couple of interns and grads in our team um, who've, who are now tech leads um, wow. We brought some interns from Code Like a Girl, um, so they they came from diverse backgrounds. One of our um, interns, who's now tech lead, she used to run a circus, Claire. Oh, and wow! So it's it's just like this. They just bring so much that you know your typical vanilla um, approach couldn't bring to 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 such a great um, outcome. I think this as well is, is where um, some of the other cultural things such as um, a blameless culture, um, yeah, high levels of psychological um, safety and um, this, this, this idea of um, vulnerability-based um, trust. These are really important because you can have a diverse team, but if you're not able to um, get everybody to you know come to the table and share their views and feel safe, you're not, you're not really you know leveraging that so i think these other you know cultural things are really important to be able to facilitate that <clears throat> i think trust in particular is a really big one because you want people to feel that they can um they can have conflict um and i, I use i tend to yeah. use the word um sparring rather than than conflict because okay. sparring implies um safety um you yeah. know because you're not really trying to hurt each other or anything you're just sort of sparring and and the idea is that I mean, you can even get people to artificially adopt another view and argue it just so that you can get that that sparring to occur. And the sparring is quite good because, you know, it's good energy levels and, um, um, you know, you really you can really start to, you know, leverage this, you know, diversity, diversity of idea, diversity of thought. Um, and um, it, it's quite powerful, but, but you really need to have these other cultural things to be able to unleash that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I agree with all of that. 
and and it's very hard tied together it's very hard to have a culture that um promotes psychological safety um there's this thing called westrom's um organization culture and he talks about um uh low uh low to high performing teams where they're uh, the low would be pathological and information is hidden. There's a lot of blaming, whereas you go to generative um, and um, it's, you know, information's actively sought and people really, um, when a failure occurs, they want to dig in. They're really curious as to why it happened rather yeah. than trying to cover it up. And if you look at the DORA report, which is a DevOps uh, research assessment, and they, it's like this huge survey with 36,000 36, participants. Um, it's the longest running, biggest of its kind. Um, they look at um, what are the things that make a high performing team. And they say, you know, the characteristics of a generative culture um, are predictors of a high performing team. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not, um, you know, specific to platform engineering. This is just, you know, engineering in general. Teams really? in general. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But it's very but important. My point is, that... is it has to be a, a organizational wide culture. Um, if, if the culture is, you know, to blame and it's, you know, you, you're traumatized whenever a failure yeah. happens, then you're not going to want to um, raise or inquire about failures. Yeah. And it will probably impact your point of earlier on of like really kind of bringing the platform engineering team to um, communicate and collaborate with the product engineering teams as well, you know, or you don't want this um, blame game to kind of be thrown over the wall from platform to product. Um, that everyone kind of works together um, to motivate each other. Um, so yeah, probably is just it may be even more important um, in these environments. Um, no, that's really insightful, guys. Thank you so much. Um, We've pretty much covered what sort of platform engineering is and the culture and ways of working in these teams and how it sort of differed, differed a little bit um, to your, um, you know, basic software engineering organizations and um, structures. So the next thing we kind of want to talk about is um, what Paul has brought to the table is the benefits of this. Like, what are the benefits of platform engineering and creating these types of squads and tribes? Um, within your teams, take it away, Paul. Um, so I have um, I listed um, eight points. So first point um, is um, around increased productivity, um, and this you know, yeah. this, this, this encompasses the fact that you've taken you know some engineers away from you know doing the normal product development to doing this type of work. So even including yeah. all of that, you're getting um, in, in some total uh, you know much greater productivity. Um, and yeah. the, the reason why this happens is. Um, you're reducing the surface area um, for engineers, um, you know, quite a lot. And as you know, as I was waffling on near the start of this call, um, it's such a wide area, and yeah. um, and 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 typically um, engineers. I mean, this is not you know a hard and fast rule, but you know, they can typically fall into a couple of different categories. You know, some engineers really just like to work on the user-facing features, and some engineers they really like to get involved in. You know the DevOps areas and the build engineering and you know more of the cloud-based architecture and, and, and things like that. So yeah. it, it dovetails a little bit with you know what what a person's career aspirations might be and things like that. So yeah, by, 
putting this sort of like a dedicated team and by reducing surface area for engineers, you get, um, you know, much greater, um, you know, productivity. And, you know, it, it's also related to accountability as well, uh, who's responsible for, for, for what and then what they're focused on. Um, I think that um, improved software quality um, is another big um, thing that comes out of it. And so this benefits the customers, um, benefits the business as a result of benefiting the customers. Um, and this is also um, unintuitively um, a productivity um, thing as well. And um, you know, Fiona mentioned the the Dora report. I'm a big fan of that uh, report as well. And it, it yes. one of the things that it shows um, is that um, quality and speed um, are not competing goals. I think in traditional software engineering, you have this triangle where quality and speed are sort of like these variables that affect each other, but they're actually not competing goals. They're actually um, complementary. And the Dora report shows that the the organizations that have the highest quality they're also the fastest um and um you know it's it's because these things sort of like they, they work together you have reduced amount of rework you have reduced bugs you have reduced you know toil and things like that so you know um you know improving software quality is really really important uh and it's one of the you know big benefits I think um, career pathways and talent attraction. I think I've spoken a little bit about this in the first point, but basically, you know, you can you can attract and retain top talent um, um, yeah. with you know clear, you know, platform engineering career paths and things like that. I think scalability and flexibility. Um, you know, it provides you know platform engineering can help um, you know the product engineering sort of teams achieve you know really great scalability and you know reliability and flexibility. Um, you know, it's sort of like a form of, you know, organizational, you know, agility. Um, another sort of form of organizational agility is, you know, standards and um, consistency. There's this idea of, you know, freedom within boundaries. Um, and so what that means is that if you're doing things in sort of like a standardly consistent way, then you have you still have a lot of freedom, but, you know, there's freedom within some guardrails. Then that also enables a lot of um, organizational agility, so people can move around and they know that you know they're not jumping from one completely different world to another. Um, promotes you know consistency in you know coding, deployment, operations. You know the way that you do observability, um, and this you know this this doesn't doesn't matter whether you're adopting a you build it you run it model or an SRE model. It's, it's all I mean you still get the same you know same benefit. Um, cost optimization, you know especially with you know cloud. Um, you know, that's an important thing for from the business point of view. And so platform engineering team, um, you know, can have that as one of the things that they they focus on. And, you know, again, this is a surface area thing. Who, who's your customer? Who are you focusing on? And what are you doing? And then, you know, you can sort of like, you can do a much better job with uh, things like cost optimization. And similar to what, um, you know, Fiona was saying as well, I think it also, um, it further enables um, innovation. Um, and, you know, you've got additional time for, the non-platform engineers to do um, innovation on, you know, sort of like product innovation, and um, and additionally, um, you know, there's plenty of opportunity within the you know platform engineering space to um, you know to innovate and um, and find better ways of doing things, especially since it's such a you know evolving and fast-moving um, area. Yeah. So I mean, basically, they're my eight points. At the end of the day, I think it boils down into you know, increased productivity, which, you know, translates to, you know, reduced cost, um, and you get additional reduced costs through cost optimization. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, doors open from a cultural and, you know, um, you know, talent acquisition and retention, you know, perspectives as well. Yeah. 
I mean, that whole piece, even how to build, um, you know, a platform engineering team, effective platform engineering team must be, you know, it's a whole topic in itself and the types of skills required, um, depending on, you know, the outcome and support needed. Um, there's so much in there that we could go into a lot more, you know, in a lot more detail. Um, it's fantastic. Thanks so much, Paul. Fiona, what what are you what what would you like to add to that? Like, what do you see as the benefits um, of platform engineering teams? Uh, I think um, Paul covered it really well. Um, and one <laughs> of uh, one of the things I would also add on to that is um, from my experiment coaching days is having fast feedback. So mm-hmm. if you know that things are um, failing early, or you see a vulnerability, you shift left on security, you see a application vulnerability quickly it's much easier to resolve earlier in the development life cycle than it is when you've passed testing and well you're in you're in testing or even when you're in prod and it's actually much cheaper um but at the end of the day having all these um extractions and um, patterns that devs can use so they can focus on the things that they like doing which is development um it, it just speeds up um, time to market. So the lead time is much shorter and also um, it brings a lot of joy and it 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 does help with uh, attrition. It's brilliant. Amazing. And from the business perspective itself, it does, it saves a lot of um, time, more productivity um, and a lot of cost cuts as well. Um, how, how does it reduce costs? For, for a company, like in what kind of, I suppose, summar- summarized way could you, expl- could you explain that? <laughs> because you, well, sorry, you go, Paul. There you go, Fiona, right? I jumped in first one. <laughs> oh, if, if you find a, an issue earlier in the dev life cycle, I think it's like a hundred times more if you find it in production or uh, pre-prod uh, wow. to fix, because yep. you have the context there, you have the developers there, they're, they're they're doing they're building their product and they they have everything that they they need at at that time whereas mm. they've probably moved on um six months later if, if that's when the, the bug is being raised um but also you have to go through the all those um processes of the life cycle so it might have to go through testing again which is another added cost um right even like to do a prod fix or it could impact the customer directly that's another cost not to mention yeah um, uh, reputational costs that could happen brilliant so definitely the motto fail fast and then fast feedback is a big um, action in these teams yeah i i don't mean to sound competitive but that is a really good point <laughs> bitterly disappointed i didn't say it myself um, it's um it's so it's so true um you know i'd add that there's like 0.9 in bold um those those feedback loops and and um finding problems early and failing fast is 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 huge there's this whole idea of shifting left it's shifting left on security it's shifting left on quality you bring these things earlier and you know, platform engineering does a great job of surfacing a lot of that so yeah that's a really good point awesome it's actually something that i've um been quite focused on when I'm qualifying engineers for roles as well as even doing references for people giving me an example of time where they fail fast um it's a big part of a good engineer mindset right now that's what people are looking for um amazing stuff okay um your next point Paul um was 
does the notion, it's more of a question, and then I think you're going to elaborate on it. So does the notion of platform, um, squad or tribe go against the notion of self, self-contained self teams that own business value or products in an end-to-end fashion without dependencies on other teams? Yeah. Tell me so, about that. Yeah, this is a... Um, um, an interesting idea and you know one of the sort of like i guess the tenets of agile development is that you want to be basically be able to have a team self-contained team be able to focus on the business um you know value that they want to deliver for a customer sort of like in an end-to-end fashion with minimal dependencies on other teams um every time you cross a team boundary it's sort of like an order of magnitude um you know slower than being able to do it um within your own team and so one of the I guess challenges in advocating for a you know from engineering team is that you know you'll have you know sometimes an, an agileist or agile plurist will say well doesn't that work against the idea of um, a um, you know a self-contained team you're now dependent on this platform engineering team and I think yeah. um, I mean it's it's kind of like I know the answer to the question and Fiona sort of of course on, it's um <laughs> the idea of um, the, um, the the platform engineering team providing self-service means that you're no longer dependent on the team. Um, so you don't have that dependency um, anymore. You, you, you actually, you are enabling the team to be completely self-contained. You're, um, you're providing the team the ability to serve themselves because you're providing, um, you know, self-service, um, you know, types of services. And you can also, um, this is where you can have like a product mentality as well, where you can actually develop services and you can engage with your, you know, internal customers as to what they what they need and then again the um the um the engineers that are doing the sort of like the product development work you know they can choose what they want to use what they don't want to use what's going to accelerate them or not accelerate them but they're not dependent on the team they're dependent on the products and services um and i mean services in sort of like you know a microservices type of way or uh you know you know uh, archetype templates or you know terraform you know scripts or you know whatever um that they can leverage um, and so it's not, um, it's not a team base. It's not a dependency on teams. Um, it doesn't violate the idea of, um, you know, self-contained team, but it does raise this, this, this point, um, that in order to be successful and not violate that principle of self-contained teams, you really do need to have, um, this idea of, you know, a self-service mentality where your customers, the other engineers can use the things that you build without having to you know, it, you know, necessarily rely on you. Like you've got good yeah. documentation and support and things like that, that they can just use it as a product. Um, and having this product mindset as well, I think helps and dovetails with that as well. So that's sort of like the, um, I guess one of the questions that might come up when you're advocating for a, you know, platform engineering tribe or squad. Um, and that's sort of like the, you know, the way to navigate it. Yeah. I'm just thinking from, yeah, from a perspective where you did, if you, you definitely need to have people in these teams that understands, you know, the end user and the product um, and then takes it back then how then they can support the engineers to like improve that end user's um, experience. It's a, it's a lot, isn't it? I know Fiona, yeah. actually, you were mentioning as well um, when we had our chat a while back, it was about making sure that the that the the product teams don't lose their sense of innovation and um, you know creativity as well. Um, that it's not too structured for them. How do you how do you um, how do you both create that balance? 
Um, one of the things that I've done in the past is that, and this, I mean, my, my I think my third point is around um, whether you um, should make um, the platforms that platform engineering build um, mandatory. Mandatory, or, yeah. Or mandatory. Um, and so um, I think that um, using things like a, um, a service owner checklist, which describes the requirements of what needs to be done, but not actually enforcing on those teams a, a specific implementation i think that's okay. quite that's quite a useful you know way of helping there brilliant and something we like to do is build patterns um that give developers the opportunity to still customize and build upon that so like when we built the observability dashboard um as a default so everyone will have that whenever they build their mfe um it's it's just a, a basic dashboard that teams can build upon and add their own things in um, as they wish it's not meant to be all bells and whistles because each team has different needs each product has different needs um, and we wanted to make sure that teams weren't confined by the patterns that we're building brilliant yeah, at Tyro as well, we had um, we had a very um, product centric mentality with within the platform engineering team, but we provided two access points. Um, the first access point was sort of like the you know end product view, where you know you can use, say for example, our, our service mesh cluster. You just need to follow these conventions, and you'll get you put in your manifest, and you know you'll get. The ability to run your containers in an active 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 state or however you've defined it in your manifest and you've just got to implement your shell scripts in this particular order and and, and you know you're really using it as a as a product and you don't need to worry about the underlying implementation um, at all and we'll support that and the other access point is well all the things that we've built will provide you with access to the code for that and um, you can then you know fork that you can take that as you know um, a template you can use um, the patterns that we have within those things and then you can just sort of like you know run with that and and, and customize it so I mean it's an interesting challenge if one team um, takes the lower level sort of access point and then modifies it and then decides that they actually quite like what you're providing at that upper level and then you've got to sort of like merge changes in but um, that, that that worked out to be quite a good a good model providing two access points. Nice. So there's a mixture of that and the patterns. Really cool. Okay. Yeah, it's like the 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 low level stuff is what the teams can use to do it all themselves and mm -hmm. you know, in a safe and good way, or they can use what you've done. They're sort of like a more finished product. Yeah. They use That's stuff. awesome. I really like that. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, I might actually pull it into your um, second point, Fiona, um, which is around abstractions, automations, and patterns. Um, oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I know it probably ties into your point now around the mandatory um, platform. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about what, what abstractions, automations, and patterns means to you, Fiona, and how you implement it. Oh, so abstractions is... Um taking a, a level out um, that devs don't really need to understand and okay. we're building things behind the scenes so it makes it easy for them to use the platform and no i don't know one dev that likes working on config 
So <laughs> it's stuff <laughs> like that, um, the tedious, mundane things that we've taken out and mm-hmm. we've built patterns for mm-hmm. that they can just they can they can pull together these patterns to to build the pathway that they want but um they they don't have to worry about knowing you know the breadth of everything that's involved in using a platform which um paul mentioned earlier and it, it's quite uh, a wide spectrum of things you need to know and but also it it allows us to have these pre-approved um uh patterns that you know you don't have to go through governance every time which in a highly regulated right. organization that that we're in is really important to be um, compliant to have governance and so when people are using these pre-approved patterns they're actually saving time because they don't have to go through that that time consuming uh, you know high effort process every single time and um if the infosec team are um are approving the build pipelines rather than approving every release that's an enormous productivity gain there as well like that was one of the things that had time that they would want to approve every single release and rather than doing that we just got them to approve the build pipelines which acted as the gate so yeah absolutely so Um, simple but like so effective absolutely (laughs) and and just on your point about um engineers not liking um you know configuration i think they should probably rename yaml to stabby because it makes you feel stabby (laughs) that's brilliant cool um now this is really 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 good um so abstraction we sort of covered that and it makes a lot of sense um the automation side of things tell us a little bit more around that because the word automation comes into everything it's testing it's devops it's that just everywhere um what does it mean in the engineering team platform engineering team apologies for us it meant um offering uh teams a mechanism to Mm. self-serve but also um automating things like logging and um, observability we have application security um uh automatically integrated so they don't have to worry about adding these things in um into their own uh, development life cycles. So mm-hmm. it's again, bringing more productivity to devs and allowing them to focus on building a really great product um, with the extra time they have and, you know, to, to innovate and experiment with um, the extra time that they have. Um, at, um, <clears throat> at long tail, um, the word platform was a little bit overloaded because the, lo- the long tail you know, product that we're building was a platform for, you know, customers to be able to, um, um, you know, have their smart pages. And um, so instead of, um, you know, having the the title platform engineer, um, which would be confusing, we had the the title automation engineer, because one of the things that, you know, is common across all these different types of activities is this this desire to automate everything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, it is kind of where things get confusing uh, when when the actual product is a platform, because <laughs> then yeah. like is the platform engineering team, the product team. But that's kind of then is never assuming that you know the automation team is you know maybe just setting up CIC pipelines or just doing test automation. It is probably platform engineering. So it's trying to get um, under the bonnet of what it means um, and what it can mean in different teams and different companies as well. Um, that's excellent and. 
Taking us on then to patterns. Um, what does patterns mean? I know you've just sort of touched on it, Fiona. Um, but yeah, do you just want to tell us a little bit more about the importance of patterns um, and how that works well? So um, patterns for us is um, just having building building blocks that mm. devs can use and bring in to build their own pathway. So they can br- they can bring in different patterns that we've built and they can build their own pathway. And with these patterns, they're pre-approved so they don't have to go through the extra governance and the extra mm. um, time it takes to, to be compliant. Um, and it, it, it it's just a, a, a really good way for um, teams to not have to worry about all the other things that are involved in using the platform. Amazing. We did something similar at, um, at Tyro as well. So we had, you know, the, the platform, which you had two entry points into, and we had um, service owner checklists, which was the things that you needed to do. If you wanted to run your services in the cloud, if you use the platform, you kind of like it, it all ticked off for free. Um, and we had also um, AWS, um, you know, patents um, and um, blueprints, I think we called them. And basically, mm-hmm. you know, th- this enables you if you wanted to set up um, you know, you network in a, um, in a in a safe way with you know the the appropriate you know NACLs and you know various layering that you know would separate you know your um, application and data and you know presentation layers and things like that. Um, that would all be done you know as part of it. And and again, as Fiona said, that's already kind of like has been pre-approved. So if you use that. Um, you know, you've got a lot fewer hoops to jump through um, if you're in a regulated environment. Brilliant. Now, this is really insightful. It sounds like, yeah, it is very much um, a team that, like you guys said, the abstraction pieces, taking away the things that devs don't want to and probably shouldn't have to do day to day, take them away from what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. The automation piece um, pulls right really nicely into the patterns. Like you said, it's like, automating everything and making things quicker more effective um and then you can kind of dig into the the newer kind of features and um more and r and d and those other automation pieces as the world becomes more compliant and regulated it'll probably speed things up um we've kind of we've covered a lot of what um you've brought to the table today but before we go what do you both sort of see that the future of uh, platform engineering heading now that you know, we've got things like AI and all these new flashy tech on the way. Is it is it something that's going to keep evolving? Is it exciting times ahead? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think AI is an interesting um, um, you know aspect. I mean, at at least yeah. um, you know um, you know platform engineering is going to need to you know get abreast of um, you know how to set up various you know models and host various you know um, you know. So when I say model, I mean like a neural network model. Um, yep. And um, and you know having enough you know compute to handle the load and this is these this have different sort of you know performance profiles to what you know sort of people are, are used to. Um, something that was quite interesting actually working at um, in a display was you know running all these different models under the load. Um, so yeah, and I think that you know automating and underpinning the infrastructure for that at least is 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 going to be the first step. But you know then in much the same way that you know AI now exists on you know, computer chips to, you know, optimize, um, you know, pathways of, of um, you know, of code pipelines and things like that. That same thing is going to exist um, within, um, you know, the infrastructure space as well. So you'll have more intelligent routing of network packets and, um, you know, um, much smarter and, 
intelligent um, you know, monitoring. I mean, that, that's, it's already there in some degrees, but it's yeah. just going to get smarter and smarter as time goes by. Amazing. And I think also our culture is changing. So we're going from this, like when I grew up, um, children were spoken to, um, we didn't really speak. <clears throat> so it's going from this um, authoritarian, like authoritative kind of culture to you know, now kids are really questioning the status quo and what's the evidence that, you know, they're really, uh, they're real critical thinkers. Mm. Where, whereas when I was a kid, I would have just accepted what an adult or senior had told me. So I'm yeah. really liking the new generation um, and the way their the mind works. And even like, you, you know, when I went to university, they have so much more information and technology to use now than what I did when I went to uni. Um, yeah. Because um, when I was in uni, uh, IT was only running for its second year um, in a row. So now wow. they have all that experience and all the learnings and all the failures that that, that we've made um, to just, you know, build things really quickly and um, with with such a um, expertise kind of mindset mm. that we like didn't the, have when we were grads. No, absolutely. The thing that, that I really like about it as well is that, um, well, I, I've got a very scientific mind. Scientific method uh, is really important yeah. for me. And all of these things aren't just, you know, warm and fuzzy feel good things. They make a big difference to the business outcome. Yeah. And there's, there is, you know, so much evidence in support of that. And it's not just, you know, correlation. There's, there's a lot of causation that can be evidenced through that. So, you know, I'm a big fan of it and not, and not just because it feels morally or ethically right. It's, it's because it delivers the outcomes. Or yeah, more, more evidence based rather than opinions. I think we're going to see and. Um, I'm really like, that's why I like the Dora report is because it's all evidence-based and they've, they've yeah. gone out to all those companies and they've surveyed them and they have the evidence to, to say, these are, these are the characteristics of high performing teams. And these are the characteristics of lows. So it's not yeah. really an opinion anymore. It's, it's exactly. based on data. Yeah. And, and it makes it a lot easier, um, to be able to form a business case around it. Yeah. And I think that's what this actual podcast, we, there's so much to cover here and the evolution of platform engineering is, is really kind of kicking off. It's only, I feel like it's very at the very beginning stages um, and the evidence is already there. Um, I know Paul, you said like, it would be great to come on and talk about how, how to build a business case uh, for something like this. We've just touched the surface of you know, the benefits of it and what it means in terms of culture and people and what it means in, in companies. Um, so I think it would make sense that we continue this uh, podcast journey on platform engineering and um, yeah, like get more um, information out there um, and, you know, discuss your achievements and your successes as well as the journey grows. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you'd both like to add to today's podcast? Um, the last point that I had was should platforms be mandatory if a business invests in it? Yeah. And my answer to that is no. And the reason is because you don't want to, um, you, you want to make sure that the platform teams engage with the product teams. And so if you make it one of their sort of like OKRs is around adoption, 
it yep. increases their ability to engage with the teams to make sure that they're actually building what's to make sure what's, mm -hmm. what's needed. Um, and um, I think that engagement is, is is massively important. You also you run the risk if you make it mandatory of having the product teams blaming the platform for if they're not able to meet their goals in a timely fashion, for example. And so right. because they've opted in to use it because it's adding you know the value, then that that um, that sort of like negates negates that. Um, and I think you know in conjunction with something like a service owner checklist, which says these are the things that you need to do in order to keep yourself um, safe, but you don't have to use the platform. You just have to do them one way or another. That also sort of like you know demonstrates all the different things that they have to do that they probably haven't thought of. And you know when they see that list, they think, mm, okay, that does increase the desire to use the the platform. Anyway, I just thought I would. That's really that, that's a really good important. point because uh, we build platforms with all this inbuilt expertise that you know um, dev teams probably don't know a lot about, and so we want to make platforms that are appealing for people to use. So adoption is a really good success metric, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it's important that if a, if you know a business did have a case and they're bringing you know the whole idea of platform engineering into the business they want to implement it that yeah they come in with the mindset that it's not mandatory that all of the success relies on that <laughs> on that team um and it pulls it all the way back into like creating the um, the culture of that kind of no blame culture where you're able to fail fast feedback fast um and everyone kind of works together on the journey so yeah you i, I reckon that's a really good point to make um if a business was to choose and I think everybody's incentivized the right as well. And yeah. They're, they're clear about who their customer is and what they're trying to achieve. And I think that that helps enormously. You know, the organizations can be complicated things. So you, know, you, you at least want to have those things very clear. Very clear. And always kind of at the end of every kind of like, right, what's this meeting about? Why are we all here again? It's kind of like pulling it back to the why, isn't it? And making yeah. sure everyone's still in line so important something comes up in nearly every single one of these topics um it's brilliant but yeah um oh so basically guys i think we'll this has been an incredible chat um and a really good start to the um platform engineering podcast journey so um unless you have anything else to add um today i think it would be good to to wrap this one up no sounds good i look forward to um hearing the podcast and how many times i said i know and um <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having thank us, Shona. And it's been really no, interesting no. talking to you, Paul. I hope we keep in touch. Yeah, likewise. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both for joining me today um, and another amazing um, Evolution Exchange podcast. And we've covered such interesting insights surrounding such a relevant topic for today's senior managers um, on how um, really to kind of implement platform engineering. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it there. I'll see you guys all on the next Evolution Exchange podcast. Mm -hmm.